You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me, as always, is Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Just watch out, Kane, because I, uh, I might just be ready to swing a, a bit of a fist into your guts. Just, I need to get a bit of space. Uh, I have no comment as a Geelong fan. Uh, big forwards throwing <laughs> errant arms around the place, I think, is just something that uh, goes with the territory. But I believe you're talking about Tom Lynch. And I must admit, this one was this one had Tom Hawkins' semifinal last year about it. A little bit off the ball, a swinging arm. He said it was an open, open uh, hands that he hit Sam Collins with, but... I tell you what, I don't think he'd want to run into Sam Collins <laughs> off the field or in a hub or wherever the hell they're staying because Sam Collins looked like he was ready to kill it. Yeah, he wasn't happy because that it's just it's what obviously winded him. But the thing is that Collins got back up after that first one and then copped a second one straight away from uh, Jake Arts, and that's when he <laughs> fell to the ground. So that he obviously didn't feel too good about that. But it's just... It just looks like I know that you know, forwards are always doing little pushes and little hits and that sort of stuff to get that gap. But when you do it, the big swing round arm into the guts, it just looks terrible. And you know, for a bloke like Lynch, who's had a few terrible looks going recently, it's not, it's not ideal. Yeah, I don't want Pick and Popovich to call me the Bill Simmons of the AFL again. But uh, I will say this is a little bit different to the Hawkins elbow a couple of weeks ago, which was sort of in a pack. This was obviously you know, 30, 40 meters off the ball. There was some talk after the game. Yeah, particularly on the couch, I think Gary Lyon was the one saying that he thinks he'll just get a fine just based on precedent and what the AFL has sort of done with previous incidents like this. But I, I don't know. I mean, this, you know, to me, if that's the only angle they've got, which I think it is the behind the goals vision, I, I, I do think that Lynch would at least be a little bit nervous, I would say. I would, yeah, I would guess a fine is is going to happen. But I've, the only vision I've seen is that behind the goals one. Yeah. Uh, at this point, um, really, you can't tell if it's a, a closed fist or an open hand at this stage. It just looks bad, and I think that's why that they'll probably just go the fine just because of how it looks. Oh, it's soft. It's a, it's a tummy pump, whatever. But it's still someone just swinging a punch into someone's guts that isn't actually a part of any sort of your sport, so so to speak. So that's. That's just where it looks poor, and uh, yeah, he'll, he'll he'll cop that fine. But it's not the only uh, not the only news. Do you want to? We'll just get into this Gold Coast Richmond game a little bit more now because uh, the 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 Suns were were pretty competitive in this one. Yeah, they were. It was really funny because the first quarter it looked like they were just going to get blown off the park. I think the inside fifties at one point was seventeen to two, and again uh, that man Sam Collins was fantastic. Uh, Ballard is. Yeah, honestly, I mean, Ballard, we'll talk about this a little bit later. Maybe he's going to be a guy that's going to be in All-Australian contention, certainly in the 40-man squad, uh, because his intercept marking is just absolutely unbelievable. And I, I thought Gold Coast did a great job hanging in there. I mentioned the uncontested ball uh, on yesterday's podcast, and this was going to be an area where they really needed to uh, try and match the Tigers in at least or get close to. At halftime, they were only minus four in uncon- uncontested possessions, uh, 86 to 82 it was, and they were winning by 10 points. So this was a huge win for mine for the Suns. I have to admit, there's been a lot of teams, and I've spoke about it a lot. I mean, teams are coming off four-day breaks. They're coming off, uh, you know, 
interrupted preparation, let's say that. But, geez, this was stiff for the Gold Coast because you felt even at halftime that that 10-point lead wasn't going to be enough. They were on a five-day break compared to nine for Richmond. It was It's a brutal schedule. I mean, that's the teams have been playing two games in the, in the nine days that the Tigers had off. And now for the Suns, obviously, you know, they're not out of it. Their run home is is reasonable, and I, I think they're continuing continuing to be competitive week in week out, which is a different Gold Coast team to what we've seen in the past. But uh, as my mate Yuk pointed out to me yesterday, I didn't realize they've got Carlton in four days, yeah, and crazy. Carlton's had six days off. So this, to back this up with that Richmond Carlton fixture is unbelievably unlucky. Yeah, the the fact that they're back again on Friday night to be the last game of one round and the first game of the next round is pretty stiff, and to have that yeah, day's break advantage or disadvantage is so significant for two games in a row it's not ideal for them I, I'm happy to put a line through them I, I don't think they're I don't think they're making finals at, at this point but one thing and you talked so much about this at the start of the year like let's see what happens when the season is six seven eight weeks yep. old can this form continue can this play continue and while the wins haven't been there they're four seven and one the way that they've played, they haven't capitulated, they haven't got blown out in nearly any game, really. They The game style, and this is with losing Matty Rowe, their game style has held up and the level of play has held up to you know, 85% of what it was at the start of the season. And that's a huge win. And it's all about incremental steps and it's massive for them. Nah, they've been awesome. And I have to say that I did say early on when they won their first three, I said I still don't think they're going to make finals. And it looks like that's probably going to be right. But I probably didn't expect them to continue right through this period, particularly the condensed fixture. We didn't know what we were going to be seeing down the line. But they've been fantastic. And again, I go back to the John Lonmeyer comment after the Sydney game where he said with young teams, the fact that you're not getting the time on the training track to, to practice and develop and work through the systems you're trying to set up for them to continue to be competitive throughout this, I think is a testament to the talent they've got on the list. And yeah, we could talk about Richmond, but in the end, they won a game they should win. But the thing I love for the Suns, and this is why it, it does feel a little bit different. They're two major ball winners on the night, Jack Lukosius and Noah Anderson. Lukosius, I mean, everyone was talking about his kicking last night. They have been uh, right throughout the season. He went 63% disposal efficiency overall but some of his kicking and his ability to take it on through the middle it's beautiful it's beautiful to watch but they were the, they were the two guys that we really targeted as well well we targeted to say they need to get on the end of it and they need to get those uncontested possessions which is where you know they'd lack so much and they did you know Lacocious had 17 uncontested versus six and anderson was about a 50 50 mm-hmm. split but you know Lacocious getting on the end and getting so much of the ball and uh and you know, 800 he almost gained 850 meters that is, that is a crazy amount. I don't know what the record is. I was talking about the record a couple of weeks ago when Luke Ryan was, uh, it was in that Geelong game where it rained the whole time. So he kept on, he had all the kick-ins and he was gaining basically 60 meters every possession he had. But uh, 836 has to be close. I wonder if anyone's topped 1,000. I don't know. I reckon someone has, I reckon someone has topped 1,000, but that, I think Bailey Smith had 800 on the weekend as well. Okay. Um, I reckon if that, that's a big number for someone who we talked about needs to get into that role and yeah. get on the end of that, and he did it, and did it really well, even though that disposal efficiency may not you know, completely, it doesn't tell the full story of, of the game, I don't think, but we had some other news as well. Um, James Sicily, ACL injury, that's going to obviously cost him the rest of this season, and probably some of next season as well, so no matter what you think of James Sicily and how much he annoys you and whatever he does, or if you're a Hawthorne supporter, how much you love him, uh, you never want to see someone go down with an ACL injury that's going to cost them a, a year of their uh, of their prime. 
No, Sicily's been probably the best player for Hawthorne all season. And, yeah. you know, whether it's intercept marking, uh, yeah, his, his competitiveness in one-on-one situations, he does try and take the game on a little bit. And they could also swing him forward a little bit at times when they're, when they're under the pump. He's such a vital player for them. And, you know, this is always the case. But if you do an ACL this time of year, particularly in this season where, you know, normally midway through the year, you say, okay, you're a chance to come back for the start of the year next year. But now... You know, 12 months. He's looking at yeah, July, August next year, and then yeah, you know, where are the Hawks going to be at that point anyway? It's almost another wasted year for him, right in the middle of his prime. It sucks. It's it's really unfortunate. And he did it in typical uh, Sicily fashion. He was trying to compete for a one-on-one, and just unfortunately uh, caught a body, and uh, the knee went the wrong way. That's uh, that sucks for Hawthorne because if they wanted to get some of the young guys into the team towards the end of the season and take any positives from this year, it feels like it's just been sapped completely yeah it's it's obviously terrible in that and the the portion of the game that it came in as well um you know Hawthorne's season not going anywhere you, you never want to f- see that happen so that's not great news the other news of course is Sydney's Elijah Taylor so suspended for the rest of the season for a COVID protocol breach um had his uh, partner sneak into the hub over there so he's going to be out for the rest of the season he showed uh, a little bit of uh, a little bit of talent in the games that he played he kicked a really nice goal against Hawthorne one game but he is out for the rest of the year He's fun to watch, for yeah. sure. And he's one of those, that huge group of Sydney young guys that, uh, you know, quite honestly, they would have wanted to get another four or five games into. So as far as development-wise, it, it sucks for him, you know, on a personal level on the team. And, yeah, you just got to be careful, particularly with Western Australia. You know, too many more of these slip-ups and the government could just say, well, fuck this. Uh, you know, if you're going to keep doing this, we can't keep having you there. There's a lot of money on the line, so I don't know whether they would actually do that. But... It, it does suck from that development point of view from the Swans, who could have got another five games into a guy that, uh, you have to say, he's been impressive enough to think that he might figure in to their future plans. And, uh, you know, the funny thing about this story, if there's anything funny, is the fact that uh, he snuck his partner in and then uh, apparently just couldn't get her out. <laughs> That's where they got caught. So they, they probably thought, geez, this plan's going, this guy plan's going well, and then uh, they just couldn't get her out of there. So... You know, these hubs, you've got to be a little bit careful with these types of situations. And uh, suspended for the season does sound pretty dramatic, but uh, I guess it is only four or five games. But the more uh, these sanctions happen, you're going to have to go harder and harder or else the message just isn't going to get through. But you would hope, uh, leading up to finals, that uh, the teams that are at least contending are going to get their act together here. Uh, I think uh, the concern might be the teams that uh, lose a little bit of focus. Let's say that. Yeah, that's uh, that's absolutely a concern for some of those guys who uh, yeah, don't have the season to play for. But you know they've got to have it in that the, they're playing for the the competition season as well, or you know behaving for the competition season. So yeah, not not great news for uh, for for the competition in general and for Sydney. But hopefully, uh, hopefully it all. Uh, it works out all right, and that's the last time we have to deal with that sort of thing. I reckon, uh, I reckon we might want to move on now to the next segment, Kane, and that is, of course, this or that. We're talking all Australians here at the moment, um, and we're talking all Australian backmen. So, Kane, you've got a couple of names listed down here. You've got Maynard. Or Ryan from Freo. It's Maynard from Collingwood. And Ryan from Fremantle as an All Australian mid-sized backman. But before we talk about that, who else is in your All Australian team? Yeah, in that back in that back group. Like, what other names have we got in there? I think we can lock a couple of names into that group. I think you got Harris Andrews in there. Like, no problem. I'll lock him in there. But who else is is in in that group? Yeah, Harris Andrews is one I would have. I would probably 
you know, almost definitely have Sam Doherty, I think. Uh, for Carlton, again, it's another team that's not, you know, or maybe I should I should say they're not going to finish in the top eight, but at this point, not in the top eight. But Doherty's just been absolutely out of this world. As far as stats go for defended, he, he's in the elite bracket there. So Sam Doherty is probably in there. Is uh, a guy like, you know, contested mark guy like Ridley in the squad, probably. I don't think he makes the final team. Would you have had uh, Sicily in there before well, before his injury? Collins? Maybe, maybe. Nick but Haynes? these are all bottom eight teams. So you've got to, got to look to the top end, I reckon, if we're, if we're looking for other players. It's interesting. I probably would have had Mark Glitzavs in there, but he's played the last few weeks up on a wing. Does that impact his ability to, to be an All-Australian backman? I'm not sure. Uh, for Port Adelaide, uh, you know, is, is, is Jonas or Cleary or one of these yeah, guys in there? Cleary probably not after getting torn apart on the weekend, but I don't know. It's tough. The back line. That's why I think these mid-sized backmen are really interesting, and and I'd be curious to know for the listeners. You can get us at, at Locked On Bucks on Twitter. I'd be curious. I, to I'd, know. I'd, uh, I don't think it's Locked On Bucks. Can I think we're looking at Locked On AFL. You got your basketball and football brain confused there. No, that's just a plug. Listen to Locked On Bucks. It's, it's playoff time, game one tomorrow, 3 a.m., so I'm sure everyone will be up for that. Locked On AFL, get us on Twitter. But but Maynard or, or Luke Ryan from Frio, I, I think they're in the mix, but I think only one of them can get in there. So I looked at a few of the numbers here so we can do a little bit of a comparison because I think until Collingwood have really slipped the last few weeks, I reckon Maynard was probably someone you almost locked in. He's averaging 19.5 disposals per game to Ryan's 18 Rebound 50s. Luke Ryan's number one in the AFL. 6.9 per game. He's doubling that of Braden Maynard. Uh, kick efficiency, 76% for Maynard. 82% for Ryan. He's lethal with the ball in hand. Meters gained is in favor of Maynard. Intercept marks is in favor of Maynard. Uh, I, I just uh, I, I think that Luke Ryan, particularly over these last few weeks, has really moved into that uh, elite bracket, moved into the All-Australian conversation. And, and maybe I just haven't watched enough of Frio over the past couple of years, but I thought on the weekend in that game against Carlton, in the fourth quarter, the Blues were all over Freeman. And they probably should have won by two or three goals, to be truthful, with the amount of footy they had, with the dominance they had around the clearances and the inside 50s. But Luke Ryan was just a one-man shot. Every time they got the ball in there, he was marking the ball, he was getting a fist in there, he was winning the ball in one-on-ones on the ground. It was simply unbelievable. He's been really good this year. I, I, I still would lean towards Maynard. Uh, at this point, um, but I, I could I could see a scenario where both those guys actually actually make it in uh, to that squad. Yeah, maybe even it is over someone like like a Doherty who started out well. But he's had he's had a few down games in in the mix there as well. I would also yeah maybe this is bias. I'd have Caleb Daniel in there pretty comfortably. As yeah, a, that's a good one actually. Yeah. As a as a, one of the back six, I'd, I'd have him in there without too much uh, concern. But I think I still take Maynard. He just, I don't know, he's just, he's so strong. He gets the ball. He moves it so well. He you know, can play shutdown roles. He can play attacking roles. I'm not saying that Ryan can't do those things. I just think that I would uh, I would just take Maynard just marginally ahead of him at, at this point. But you know, Ryan, as you said, is leading the uh, leading the league in rebound 50s at you know 6.8 per game, which is a big difference. He's also leading the league in intercepts per game at 7.9. Another name we probably have to mix in there is uh, Nick Loston as well, as a all Australian defensive uh, player. But he, he lit, so Ryan leading in intercepts and rebound fifties. Uh, they're, they're pretty compelling numbers. Yeah, they are, and I think you know Frio getting a little bit more attention over the last couple of weeks as well. Uh, I think maybe 
some other guys that you could potentially put in there. Uh, you know, again, it's a bottom eight team, but Dane Rampey's been fantastic as well. Uh, and, and then, you know, as I mentioned, probably Tom Jonas potentially. He didn't really play on Hawkins. What about Darcy Moore? So, yeah, he's dropped off. I he think, has, for mine. Yeah. I think he, he would have been st- in there a few weeks ago. Yeah, he was a lock after four or five rounds. Uh, ask Collingwood fans, and I'll tell you he was a lock on. But uh, he's, he's dropped off big time. The whole Collingwood back line has gone backwards since uh, Jeremy Howe went out. Yeah. Not, not, not in a huge way, but it's just changed everything they've had to do. We speculated what impact that was going to have because Jeremy Howe, to be fair, was playing at All-Australian level as well when he went down. Ken Hinkley, by the way, to get back to Jonas, he did say last week, if Tom Jonas isn't All-Australian this year, then I don't know football. Uh, well, we'll see. We'll see. So he's pretty confident that Tommy Jonas is going to get in there as well. So so we'll see. But the back line's going to be interesting because there are only so many positions there. But those two guys, as I was watching both, the Pies and uh, the Dockers on the weekend, I, I thought that it was interesting because I think they both have a case. The one last number that I'll throw out there, percentage of one-on-ones in the defensive 51, uh, Maynard 72% from 18 contests, Luke Ryan 66%, but from 30 contests. He's had a, a almost almost double the, the one-on-ones in back 50 and a similar percentage. So he, again... Does play for Frio, doesn't get as much attention as some of the other teams, certainly outside of WA, but he's been fantastic. He has. It's been uh, yeah, a big bright spot for their, them. They've had quite a few bright spots in a, a real rebuilding year, and he is, he's definitely one of those uh, one of those guys. So he's going to be interesting, this All-Australian team. There's going to be names popping up that we don't really expect to always uh, to always yeah. see. Um, and yeah, the, uh, and I'm not as big on like, oh, they're from a, a bottom bottom eight team, therefore they can't get in or anything along those lines, because sometimes those players are, are doing so much in really trying circumstances. And well, when we're talking about defenders, these aren't midfielders. Well, somebody's got to get the ball. These are guys that are having the pressure heaped on them. And if they're you're repelling these attacks and providing providing then the attacks going forward and yeah, making their team lose by 20 instead of 50. I think that's a that's a big thing as well. It's not just like, well, you your team's bad and you're in the middle and somebody's got to get the ball. Uh, therefore, you're getting it. It's not, not that sort of a scenario to me. So I think defenders in bad teams, if they're really standing up, that's something worth looking at. All right. So we finally get to take a little bit of a breather here. We get a couple of days without AFL footy, as you sort of pointed to earlier in the show, Carlton and Gold Coast on Friday night. So we get a chance to look back on the weekend. We haven't been able to do this for a little bit. We've each got a takeaway. Funnily enough, it's from the same game. We earmarked this one as potentially being the game of the year, Geelong (laughs) and Port Adelaide on Friday nights. It wasn't quite that. What did you take away from this? Well, my worry, I guess, here from from this game is Port Adelaide. Now, that sounds... Like a weird thing to say, considering they're sitting on top of the ladder. But what what do we make of them? That seemingly, whenever they're going up against good teams, they don't really come to the party. Beaten comfortably by Geelong, overrun at home by St Kilda, beaten by Brisbane, and these are the teams that are sitting here, two, three, and four on the ladder, or two, three, and five in yeah, St Kilda's perspective. So what do we make of Port, who goes and beats the teams that they should beat comfortably, but when it's pushed up against the, the pointy-end guys, you, they they aren't doing it. They aren't they aren't getting that job done. They beat, you know, out of those top teams, they, they beat the Eagles, but that's when the Eagles were not playing well. You know, they, they killed them by almost 50 points, but that's, that's a very different Eagles situation than what we've got now. But there are the losses, 37 against Brisbane, 30, 29 against uh, the Saints, and 60 against Geelong. 
So if we're counting those as like the top five teams, they did beat the Eagles, but again, I reckon they play the Eagles now that they might get, they might be in trouble. So that's all well and good. You can finish on top, finish top two, but my confidence in them come finals against good teams is is dwindling. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I was watching this game, and they're not going to be the they're not the first team, and they're not going to be the last time team to uh, come undone against the Geelong backline. We saw St Kilda four days earlier, uh, you know, meet the same fate. But when you look at the stats for their forward. Uh, for their forwards, whether it's marks inside 50, whether it's goals, whether it's uh, shots on goal, they're just so one-dimensional. They are just so one-dimensional. And if Charlie Dixon isn't getting the job done, they, they seem to really struggle to find avenues to goal. And Charlie obviously only had three disposals on the weekend. Yeah. He was he was comprehensively beaten. Marks inside 50 on the season, Charlie Dixon has 26. Second on the list is Justin Westhoff, who actually hasn't been getting a game in the last few weeks. Todd Marshall, who's injured. And then a third is Mitch Georgiades, who he's 19 years old. So he's been super impressive. But I don't think you can go into a final series with a 19-year-old and played you know, 10 games and expect him to, to get the job done in a grand final. It's going to be really, really difficult. So I, I think that's the huge problem for them. Two one-dimensional up forward. Who's going to kick the goals for them? Do they just need to bring Westhoff back in? But then can you play Westhoff, Georgiades, and Dixon? So they got some decisions to make because for mine, Again, it was too Dixon-focused, but it was also too easy for Geelong because they just weren't worried about anyone else. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's always... It's always seemed to be if, if Dixon's on, then they're going, all right, but if he has an off game, then what the hell else do they do? And we talk about this so many times, like having multi, multi-prongs in what you're doing as a team. And to be fair to Porto, they did beat Richmond in that game of the year, which was obviously a huge win. But Richmond's currently sitting sixth, so they're a really good team. We know that, but they haven't had the most even of seasons. And just, I just, I just worry about yeah, how all this, how all this plays out when when a team can really focus in and say, well, we're not letting Charlie Dixon get the ball, and what else have you got? And at the moment, they don't really have enough for me to be to look at them and go, well, you're on top of the ladder, therefore you're flag favourites. So I don't think that's how it should be looked at. Yeah, it's very easy to slip back into the old hole and go back with the the teams, and and that's why I probably. Still, if, if I had to put money down or I was forced to make a decision of who I think is going to be in the grand final, I'd probably still say Richmond West Coast because because I trust them. But, you know, Port, for mine, uh, they've come from outside the eight. So it's not like we've got exposed form here. It's not like this is a team that we can trust because we've seen them there before. And so that's why I think those games, those types of games against Geelong really mean a lot for them. And remember, they were on a six-day break. The Cats only on four days. So they should have had an advantage. And I, I actually thought that Geelong didn't put enough score on the board at three-quarter time. They were up by 24 points, and I thought that they were going to be in danger. I really thought that Port Adelaide was going to make a bit of a charge in the fourth quarter, but it was a complete demolition, and the Cats kicked away, which, again, I I don't think that's a great sign for a team coming off a four-day break. For them to be able to do that to you, I think it's a a little bit of a concern. So Port, I'm not writing them off, but I, I do think that they're, you know, over the next few weeks here, they need to find a bit of a plan B to, to Charlie Dixon because if he's not clunking contested marks, then you're just going to see teams throw two or three guys at him and, and and pack the 50 and bring numbers to the ground as Geelong did. And it's it's tough to tough to get around that. They were too predictable. The thing with Port, though, is their last four games are against Hawthorne, Sydney, North, and Essendon. So they could come in yeah. here and you know, win four games with a combined winning margin of 200 points like very, very comfortably finish on top of the ladder, be flying into the finals. But to me, those those three, and they've only had three losses, but the three losses against those teams in the top five is what's really standing out to me. And you know, 
they probably they win might win their first final, but they, they might not. There's a real chance they go out in straight sets, depending on how things uh, play out. And yeah, these next four, I don't think these four weeks are going to actually tell us anything about them. So I, I will say this: I don't think, and obviously, yeah, just thinking through this the last couple of weeks, I think that there's one team that you desperately want to avoid uh, playing a final against at their home ground, and that's West Coast. I don't think that teams are going to fear playing Brisbane at the Gabba. I don't think teams are going to fear playing Port Adelaide at Adelaide Oval. So, you know, Port Adelaide are in the box seat. We know that they're going to be able to have finals in Adelaide. So if they take care of business, which you expect they would, the one thing will be, well, what are we actually, what have we learned from the last four weeks about Port Adelaide against those teams? Probably nothing. You know, Dixon's probably going to <laughs> kick a bunch of goals and look dominant. But, but what have we learned? Not a lot. Uh, and then they're going to get that home final. So they do have that you know, in their pocket, that they will get the home final, but I, I do think it's a little bit different to West Coast. I, I don't think that teams are going to fear playing Port Adelaide at Adelaide Oval. No, I, I agree with that. But do you want to talk a little bit here uh, about, uh, about Geelong? Um, their forward line, how, how's, uh, how's that functioning? Well, the forward line's great at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it starts from the defense and the structure they're playing though you'll see it when you watch the games I mean, there is a reason why uh, Geelong get a, an open 50 because they're they're so disciplined their midfielders their wingers in particular are playing such an important role getting back and sweeping the back line right now and I, I will say as a Geelong fan I, I am a little bit nervous that we're getting near finals and Mark Blitzers is again up on a wing uh it, it does just make you think what are we doing are we doing this all over again <laughs> this this feels like last year but they do seem in a much better place defensively than they were last year. They seem to have they seem to have figured out what they're trying to do with the footy. And last year at times it looked like they were a little bit all over the shop. They were still uh, tinkering with things, uh, which really was the first year they had with uh, with a new group. When you think of all the small forwards they tried to bring into this team, they seem a little bit more structured uh, this season. But the one concern that the Cats still have, and we know they're running Reece Stanley, uh, in the ruck still, Darcy Fort maybe will come in. Radically is out of the team. Who knows what they're actually going to roll with? Right now, it's working with Stanley, and they're winning the centre clearances. So they beat Port Adelaide thirteen to nine at the centre clearances, which is important because the Cats rank number one, or you can either say they're number one or they're dead last. But they're, they're number one for opponent scoring percentages from centre clearances. So if the opposition wins wins a centre clearance, they're scoring thirty percent of the time, which is really really high. I mean, that is that is a concern for Geelong. And that means that when the Cats' back six are isolated, they can be a little bit vulnerable. And I, I don't think that's a, a huge shock. That's probably the case across the league. But the Cats certainly are number one. So that's why it's so important they continue to win the centre clearances. Because for me, they look rock solid everywhere, except if there's a quick ball out of the centre. So that's something to watch for the Cats moving forward. They also, they're, they're the highest scoring team in the AFL, but they're also number one in goal assists per game. And that's something we've highlighted with Tom Hawkins a lot this year is not only is he kicking goals, but he's really high up there in terms of score involvement and goal assists. And that's a little bit different in terms of his game and the team in general, but they're sharing the ball. They're getting guys into the right spots also, and a really high-powered uh, team. And we've seen it even little bursts at times, you know, that third quarter I think against Brisbane up in Sydney a few weeks ago where they just put the foot down and really put that pressure on uh, so that, it is a bit of a change for Geelong to see that sort of uh, forward line uh, pressure or not pressure that forward line uh, execution at as high a level as it is Kane no footy tonight amazingly <laughs> so we'll, uh, we'll have other stuff to talk about tomorrow time to uh, time to crack open the mailbag 
Yes, it will be. If you have any questions, I had to remember what day it was. But yes, tomorrow is Wednesday. Darren Wilson, by the way, we did get a couple of your questions last week. So uh, you know, we didn't get to those. It was a little bit difficult when there was games every single day. But if you have questions, maybe it's not questions. Maybe we've said something and you think is complete bullshit. Maybe you completely disagree with something. All Australian backmen, who's your back six? Get that through to us. Uh, any thoughts, theories, anything, you can throw them at us at Locked On AFL. You can send them to Lockdown Bucks if you want. No, nah, do it. Lockdown uh, AFL uh, probably works better. <laughs> I'll probably see them. But either yeah. way, at Lockdown AFL or Lockdown AFL at gmail.com and we'll hit those tomorrow. And don't forget, guys, subscribe Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and on Spotify. Kane, thank you again. See you tomorrow, my friend. Guys, I'm going to leave you today with a shout out to Alex Ishenko. <laughs>